Hey, what's up, guys? This is Gavin Shaw of the Locked On Knicks podcast. And today I'm going to be joined by Locked On Pelicans host Jake Madison to discuss everything involving the Zion Williamson saga in New Orleans, including answering the biggest question of them all. Will he eventually be a Nick? That next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. And we want to thank you for making Locked on Knicks your first listen today. And every day we're now available on all platforms, including on YouTube. But far more importantly, our very special guest, as promised, it's Jake Madison, the host of the Locked on Pelicans podcast. He also co-hosts Locked on NBA podcast every Wednesday. Jake, thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, we are here to talk about Jose Alvarado. Uh, let's let, let's get into it. it. Does he want to be a Nick? That's that's the question everyone wants to know. Right, right. New York, New York legend. His breakout game was against the Knicks, too. So that was <laughs> pretty fun, man. All right, I admittedly stole that joke from Zach Lowe. Uh, let, let's get into what we're really going to talk about. Zion Williamson. Um, I'll start with this. Uh, what would you say the percentage odds are Zion Williamson is a Pelican at the beginning of next season? It's Look, it's not 100%. It's not 0%. It's somewhere in the middle. It's probably like 85%, maybe even a little bit higher than that, that he's on the Pelicans next season. The only reason you know he wouldn't be is if he just flat out demands a trade and the Pelicans look at this and see it as something that could get very, very messy. And even if he does that, I think they might try and play hardball a little bit. This is pretty different than the Anthony Davis situation or a lot of the situations we've seen where players try and force their way out. They're not on rookie deals. They're not going to be restricted free agents where the Pelicans still have full team control over this guy. So until they've exhausted every option to like make it work, I think he's go- they're not going to trade him. And that means they're probably not going to move him this offseason, though I do think there's a chance of it. But it's still like 85 90% he's back in New Orleans at the beginning of next year. What do you think the best case scenario is with Zion at this point? Because whenever I hear the conversations, I guess maybe mostly because I'm listening to conversations from a national perspective, they're usually about the worst case scenario. They're saying, all right, clearly he wants out. Clearly the relationship is fractured beyond repair. On and on and on and on. I like... Maybe, again, you correct me if I'm wrong on this, Jake, I don't necessarily get the impression, to your point, that this is completely over or that Zion still couldn't have a long career in New Orleans. So if this works out, what does it look like and, and why did it work out? Yeah, you know, I, so I think there's there's a couple ways to kind of like read that question and answer it. And I think like the first and foremost part of it is like the best case scenario is that Zion doesn't hate the team, right? He's just a guy who's kind of a little bit more introverted and kind of just does his own thing. And he's just off in Portland trying to get healthy and rehab his broken foot and just wanted to get away from everything, whatever it might be, and just like rehab, get healthy, come back, and everything's fine. You know, I have friends that aren't great at responding to text messages, even if I want them to do it, things like that. I'm bad about that at times. Sometimes that's just how people are. And so I think because he's been so silent and we haven't spoken to Zion since media day, we're trying to kind of fill in a lot of the gaps there. 
But that's just our kind of assumptions at time. And sometimes, especially with the national media, I think there are projections in there. So the best case scenario is things are fine. It's just a quiet dude that's trying to get healthy before he comes back probably next season at this point and plays. And you can see there's the makings of a pretty good I'd say Pelicans team here, you know, they just beat the Lakers on ESPN by like 30 something points. Not that that's hard because the Lakers are are absolute garbage this year, but you can see you've got Brandon Ingram, who's a former all-star. You've got now CJ McCollum, who's a good three level scorer and a dude that's just an absolute bucket. You've got a center that can pound smaller defenses in Jonas Valanciunas. They're about a Zion type of player away from at least contending for maybe like the four or five seed, I think, in the Western Conference. So if he comes back healthy like he was last season, where this was a guy, yeah, if he played a full year and this team was good, would be in the MVP conversation, right? When we did the crossover for Locked On NBA last week, two weeks ago, whatever it was, everyone basically said, this is one of those guys that would be in the MVP conversation could lead the league in scoring and is in the conversation for potentially being a top five, top 10 player. You add that guy to this team. This offense is terrifying at that point, I think. And this team should be good. So that's the best case scenario is that he comes back. Everything was fine all along. He signs some sort of extension or, you know, whatever it might be in some capacity, likely like the, the rookie max. And this team goes and competes for the next couple of years in the playoffs with maybe at best, though, an outside chance of being a title contender or something along those lines. Um, I mean, you you just hit on my next question. Can New Orleans offer him, offer him an unqualified max given his injury history, given the concerns that given with his style of play at his current weight, uh, which was mocked very recently in a Mardi Gras float, uh, is, is that reasonable at this point? And if they don't, is there a world where Zion would sign a max that has a whole lot of injury qualifiers in it, given that, again, we're, we're having this conversation about whether or not he even wants to be there? Right. And look, he, he's more games than he's played at this point through the first yeah. three years. So this is a very real thing. The The contract extension, they'll offer it to him this offseason is going to be really interesting. And I don't, I don't think he'll necessarily sign it this year, and that's fine. He doesn't need to, right? Like, they can still offer this to him after next year when he would be then a restricted free agent. You're just time is starting to run out, and you get a little bit nervous if he says no at that point. But they'll offer it. There's a couple of things that I think could be done with it. One, it could be structured like the one that the Philadelphia 76ers offered Joel Embiid, which, as you mentioned, had a lot of – injury qualifications in there that if you don't play X amount of games or X amount of minutes, things kind of change on some of that criteria. So at least the team has a little bit of protection, you know, from the, for themselves. Things just kind of go haywire in terms of injuries. I don't know if he's injury prone necessarily, but certainly this foot injury is a little bit eye-opening more for how he and his camp are trying to approach the rehab versus other things. I think the team wants him to get another surgery to just fix this, and he doesn't want to do that. And it's trying to kind of fix it with physical therapy, which if it was going to work, probably would have worked by now. That's a concern if that's the way the guy kind of approaches injuries instead of following the team's medical advice and things like that. So certainly they would want some protection in there. The other kind of wild thing about this for Zion in this contract extension is he might not meet starter criteria, which means that number is going to be significantly lower, which is why I don't think he's really going to sign anything. And that can change too, even if he signs it now and then plays next year. But having missed so many of these games, there's that criteria in those contracts that you've got to start X amount of games in your career. Otherwise, it doesn't kind of kick in at the higher dollar amount. 
that's something to kind of keep an eye on too. And certainly would you would think would motivate him to be on the court and healthy and just playing and not sit out as much time as possible. So I think they'll offer it to him. I don't think he'll accept it this offseason. And I think that's going to make the Pelicans a little bit nervous. And what comes from that, that's kind of like the big unknown in the question from there. But I think if he goes, I want a full-on max and I will sign it even without the injury protections and all of those. The Pelicans, you just have to do it, right? Like this is a small market team that does free agents. They tried to, they cleared 30 million in cap space this past summer and could not give that money away. <laughs> so at a certain point, you at least just kind of have to kind of put, put your chips in with Zion because he's the best chance you have of having a player of that talent, even if there are some red flags and stuff associated with him. Yeah, to me, that's that's the way this ultimately works out for New Orleans, right? They come to the table and say, hey, we don't have leverage in the sense that we are one of the smallest markets in the NBA. We've had two superstars in the last 20 years. We've lost two superstars in the last 20 years. We cannot afford, even, even if they got an incredible package back for Zion in a trade, we can't really afford for this to happen a third time because Hall of Famers, Chris Pauls, Anthony Davis, Zion Williamson's usually just don't don't walk into the building draft free agency whatever like i mean the knicks have been looking for that guy for i mean since patrick ewing if, if you want to even put patrick ewing and i mean obviously him and i'm not gonna compare him to zion but regardless the knicks have had maybe one of those guys over the last 40 years so it's it's not the easiest thing in the world um and new orleans can say hey we should be putting in a million injury qualifiers here we are not going to do that because we understand the position we are in and if you're zion even with all the shoe money that he's making you, you look at objectively what his career has been, and it's a guy who, by the end of this year, very realistically, 85 career games. That's one full season in three years. If that's the case, he kind of has to say, I can't really turn down that money. And, and to me, that's the way this ultimately works out. So, Jake, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, uh, I want to get into Zion the player a little bit more. Uh, that next on Locked On Next. Football might be over for the season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to the Olympic information and coverage that you so desire. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online where the game starts. All right, back with Jake Madison, uh, host of Locked On Pelicans and the co-host on Wednesdays of the Locked On NBA podcast. Uh, Jake, what do you think Zion is as a player at this point? I mean, given the injuries, do you do you think there's going to be some discernible loss in athleticism? I remember, and I'm I'm not I'm, I'm interested in your take on this because his rookie year there was there was all this talk of yeah he looks incredible but maybe not quite the freak of all freaks that he was at Duke, and then he scores he scores 27 points a game last season so it's sort of like all right but how much better can you get than that? Maybe on the defensive end is where it comes out a little bit more. But the next time Zion does play for New Orleans. Do you expect the same guy we saw last season? Yeah, for the most part. You know, uh, you saw him last year do things that were just almost easy for him, right? And he was a little overweight at that time, I thought. You know, he wasn't in bad shape, let's say, but he was probably playing a little bit heavier than he wanted to. And I can tell you from his time in Portland, he's lost a lot of the weight that the Mardi Gras float made fun of him for and all that conversation and stuff has come around. So he's in pretty decent shape now. He's just not healthy. So I think he can get on the court and be even better. In terms of you know, what he can do, 
Yeah, there's still a lot of room to grow, actually, which is terrifying when you think about that for a guy who scored 27 points per game last season and shot 61.1% from the field. He's doing all of his damage at the rim, and that's so, he doesn't have another facet to his game just yet. Other than some of the passing, and we saw kind of that point Zion experiment last season, that's not so much him creating for others is more of a court gravity thing. When he has the ball because he can score like near 70% at the rim, you basically have to double and triple team him to try and take that away, which means someone's going to be open, and you don't even need to do a fancy pass or get it to someone when there's that much attention paid to you. But if he were to develop either a mid-range game or a three-point shot, something along those lines that gives him another scoring aspect to his his game. Like, look out, league. Like, what are you supposed to do at that guy, right? We've seen him get the ball on the three-point line. Teams would sag off of him to try and take away that drive to the rim. Well, if he can shoot the three from there, you've got to then start to defend him out there on the perimeter, and then he's going to be able to blow by you, especially if he starts to tighten up his handle a little bit. It's above average, but not elite. I think those are the areas you could really see him developing his game more and making him more a little bit well-rounded, which should just be an overall increase in production. And then actually playing on a team that has other kind of credible threats in three-point shooters, particularly in CJ McCollum, I think is going to be a big thing. The problem last year for New Orleans was like just one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. You weren't going to guard anyone other than Zion. You know, you can't really put guys on the court that are actually going to space the court more for Zion. When he scores at 70% at the rim, that's the equivalent of like a 49% shooter from three. Those those don't exist in high volume. So you're never going to guard the three-point shooter. You're just going to guard Zion down low. So you can even take a guy that shoots 40%. They're not spacing the court for Zion more. They're there just to make teams pay for double and triple teaming him. But now you have a guy in CJ McCollum that's so good off the bounce in terms of his scoring and his shooting. That actually does. If CJ has the ball at the top of the three-point line, you can't you can't not guard him from there. He's just going to shoot and drain it. So at least you have to commit a defender to that. That actually does open things up more for Zion. So With steady improvement from the player, losing the weight, gaining a lot of that athleticism back because of that and just being in better shape, along with a better team, I think should probably, in theory, push him closer to 30 points or so per game, I think, once he gets reacclimated and all of that. But that's kind of what the summer's for and hopefully, you know, preseason and training camp and all of that going into next year. So my my takeaway from all this so far, you don't really have any concerns about him having any kind of drop off in athleticism given these foot issues and, and the previous weight issues. No, I don't think so. At least not the weight issues. You know, the foot one's always a little bit weird, right? We've seen multiple guys go through something like this, but this isn't one that necessarily creates a loss of athleticism, right? It's not a knee or something like that. We've seen Kevin Durant come back from this just fine. Look at Joel Embiid this year, who basically went through the exact same thing that caused him more or less to miss two seasons or so. So I think when you look kind of look at it historically in the NBA, this foot injury isn't one that bothers me the most. Got it. Um, and what do you what do you think of his future defensively? Because I, because everyone remembers that I think it was against Virginia, right? That flying block, maybe the single most iconic play of his college career. And he was someone when he was drafted that was expected to sort of be a destroyer defensively, just who could like, especially as a help defender, someone who could just completely ruin your day, muck things up, fly in for block after block after block. I mean, kind of what we saw, like, certainly, like, he wasn't considered to have the same perimeter mobility, but in terms of the help side blocker, sort of what we saw from, like, a young LeBron, like, just someone who is an absolute menace, a force, whatever term you want to use, um, and practically in the NBA, it, it hasn't been that, right? When he when he played as a rookie, like, he was 
absolutely horrific on that end. I can't say I followed it to the same extent last season. My understanding is New Orleans was not particularly good defensively when he was on the court. Um, obviously, he does a lot to offset that, but presumably for this Pelicans team to hit the ceiling, he's going to have to be at least average on that side of the floor. Uh, what do you see from him defensively, and, and what do you think are sort of the next steps in his development there? Yeah, no, he's not good on that side of the ball. I think so. I think his college, particularly once the film, there's something that jumps out at you with him. He's very instinctual. Like he kind of has a nose for the ball. He knows when to kind of jump passing lanes, grab the ball, and then he could just take it coast to coast and score. You know, he was able to block that shot at uh, in Virginia. It was what the right corner three because yeah. it's shorter three point line. So he can get out there a little bit quicker. So I think as you've seen him go against. NBA players on a, a big, basically a better spaced court. It's kind of limited some of that defensive impact that he can make just because you've got to be a little bit quicker than you were in college. And he just hasn't been able to do that just yet. I also think he takes such a big offensive load in the NBA that it's just one of those things where you're not going to see him go flat out on defense all of the time. And that's fairly common. Um, so he's got to get better on that side of the ball. What 100%. I think that's one of the bigger areas of growth for his game overall is at least just not being a negative. As you said, kind of be average. He's on a team with better defenders. Now, Brandon Ingram's actually committed himself to that side of the ball this past year. He's, look much better defensively. Herb Jones is also in there who's been a bit of a revelation as a rookie and really able to defend at a high level. That takes some of the pressure off of him, but he still needs to do more and not be completely lost. I think one of the bigger things is going to be kind of that court awareness, and that's only going to come with reps and being on the court and just experience and playing and being around the team and being in film sessions and not falling asleep like he has before. And all of that stuff that kind of goes alongside of it, I think that gets better a little bit better over time, but he certainly has the tools to be a good, like not a rim deterrent or a you know, shot blocker or a rim protector, but he'd be able to kind of handle his own down there. He's certainly got the strength for it. The dude, you know, is, is built like a brick wall. Th that's the way they need to try and find him to put him in better positions with that. I think at times he's having to defend guys on the perimeter, and that's certainly a really big struggle for him. And how can you put him in positions where he can just be a little bit more instinctual and just kind of do what he feels he needs to be doing? And it even goes back to like the first summer league game, right? When he ripped the ball out of what Kevin Knox's arms and just turned yeah, it around. Uh, like, I'm still, still he traumatized. Just sees the ball and <laughs> right, it's caused yeah, an earthquake. Yeah. Uh, he, he just kind of knows when to like go for it, right? And be like, oh, yeah. I see the opportunity. Trying to kind of find ways to put him in opportunities to do that, which is not easy to manufacture on defense. But certainly I think that's something the coaching staff wants to try and increase. But as you say, that's an area he needs to get significantly better on. Got it. And what do you think of, I mean, this has been a big conversation of like, what do you think of Zion, the teammate, uh, JJ Redick going on ESPN last week? And, and a guy, because I remember, because I, I love JJ's podcast, uh, he had Zion on when he was a rookie and they seemed on really good terms. Of course, JJ wasn't good at, as the leader of that team, wasn't going to publicly call out Zion at that point. Um, but now he's coming out and saying like, hey, I saw this even when he was a rookie. He's someone who's always been a little bit detached, hasn't necessarily shown the investment you would like from a franchise star. And to some extent, like, I think all of this feels a little overblown in that the guy, he was what, 19 years old as a rookie. Like, that's pretty typical of a teenager not really having, I, I think to me, it's like, it's less of someone being like a good or bad guy. And every time I've heard Zion talk, it seems like a really good dude. Um, to me, that's just, it's self-awareness and, and maturity, right? And, and that just might not be all the way there yet. And that doesn't really feel like the end of the world to me, even though it's being made out to be that, but uh, Jake, as someone who's there every day, what, what's your feel for him as a teammate? And do you think that's something that um, can be improved? 
Yeah. So there's two sides to this one. He needs to be a better teammate. Like part of it is, yeah, he's 21 and I was an idiot at 21. Right. And I'm still flaky on people that are really good friends of mine and things like that. Like I, I get it, particularly when he's dealing with a lot of like ire in, on social media, right? You have Shaq and Charles Barkley, like making fun of how he looks on TNT. That's rough on anyone, man. Like that's going to kind of drag you down, even if you're getting paid $40 million a season. And so does that cause him to withdraw a little bit? I think it's entirely possible. Um, but at the same point, like you need to, re- you know, this, this started off because he hadn't reached out to CJ McCollum after the CJ, after CJ was traded to New Orleans. You have the guy that's the president of the Players Association to have a teammate not reach out and at least say like, hey, I'm excited you're on the team kind of speaks to that detached level that JJ Reddick said. And what JJ Reddick said is eye opening because they're both part of the Duke Brotherhood and you rarely see those guys take shots at each other or even do anything publicly that makes one of them look bad or anything like that. They're rep by the same agency too. That's a little bit surprising to necessarily keep some of that stuff in-house. So it kind of does speak to, I think, the fact that people want more out of Zion. We know J.J. Reddick's a bit of a perfectionist, right? And he takes his approach to things very seriously, the preparation and all of that. So I could see him as a teammate almost being offended that Zion is not doing that sort of thing. And I think that's where some of that kind of those remarks really came from. But, you know, yeah, he should be a better teammate. You should be reaching out to these guys. You should still be trying to build kind of team chemistry and to be involved with them. And he definitely needs to be a better pro. And I had reported this, that he was he's often late showing up to workouts and rehab and physical training assignments. He's fallen asleep in film sessions before. That's not a good look. And if you want to kind of build a legacy as a top player and be one of the best players in the NBA, that stuff does kind of need to be cut out, I think. And he is very withdrawn from this team. He's not responding to texts in their big group text messages. He's not really involved with them on a day-to-day basis at any point. So part of it is like, yeah, just he's a 21-year-old that hasn't matured enough to do that. The other part is there is a repeated pattern of this kind of behavior that is at a certain point alarming. And so it goes to stuff beyond what JJ Reddick said. This offseason, the Brandon Ingram and one of the assistant coaches planned a trip to the NBA finals to go watch a game in Phoenix where Brandon Ingram lives. And Zion was invited, said he was going to go, and then just never showed up. That's a little bit beyond just being a good teammate. Like that's concerning behavior. In summer league, He was in Vegas during Summer League. All of the other Pelicans were there too, whether or not they were playing in Summer League. He didn't show up to one of their practices or workouts at all, despite being in the same city. They worked out in Nashville to organize some off-season workouts after Hurricane Ida hit New Orleans, and we were all out of here for a little bit. He didn't show up to any of that, was the only player missing. So to still be withdrawn with some well-publicized, fractures, rifts, iciness with the organization. I think there is reason to be concerned about all of this, that maybe it just goes beyond him being kind of a bad teammate or a guy that needs to mature a little bit more and more into the realm of like, oh, maybe he doesn't actually want to be in New Orleans. So it does feel some of the stuff's overblown, but given some of that kind of uh, uh, behavior we've seen in the pattern, there's a bit of a cause for alarm there. Yeah, it's interesting because you – you look at the guys who win championships and they're not often described that way, right? The Steph Curry's, the Tim Duncan's, even LeBron, like great teammates by and large. And I'm sure guys have specific issues with them um, over the years, like LeBron in particular, but generally guys who I guess bring people together 
more than need other people to try and force them to be together. Um, I want to I want to get to the the, the the big portion of this podcast. Can Zion potentially be a New York Nick down the road? And we will do that in just a sec. But first, let's take a quick break. Thanks some of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you can need, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. So go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solutions to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Now back to it with Jake. All right, we're back with Jake Madison, third and final segment. Jake, this is this is this is this is why you're here, man. Uh, in the past, uh, Zion has made comments about loving MSG. There were all these reports when he was initially drafted that he was hoping New York, who obviously had the worst record, would win the lottery. Uh, the Knicks very famously have uh, his two most popular, or, or I guess two most talented college teammates, and RJ Barrett and now Cam Reddish. Do you buy that there is specific interest for Zion Williamson in New York, or is it more so just a general sense if he wants to be? Mix of both. Like, I think he, look, I think part of it is this, and this is something I've been trying to kind of like really get through to my audience is I don't think professional athletes like living in New Orleans for the most part. Like, I think it's more of like a nightlife thing. And so while I like living here and going to dive bars, I don't think, you know, a 21 year old black millionaire who's an NBA player wants to be doing that sort of thing. And so I think that creates a bit of a problem here. So when I look at this, I don't know if it's so much the Knicks versus living in New York City and living in like a high rise penthouse, having way more strip clubs in, in New York City than you have in New Orleans, which is something hey, I can hey, tell hey, you he likes to go to. Hard in here, so it's not it's not a perfect system. <laughs> yeah, very, very good point. If he's not going to be happy there, um, so I think that's that's kind of part of it, right? I think there is a, a distrust that he has with this front office and with this organization, and going, man, I could be living my best life elsewhere. And so I think that's. I don't know if it's so much the Knicks versus just New York City in general, knowing that probably the Nets are not a realistic option whatsoever for him to be able to go to. I think it has more to do with that. You know, I don't read too much into the Madison Square Garden comments. Everyone says that basically about MSG, right? Like, I'm not even a Knicks guy. I've been to one game there, and I thought it was really cool that Steph Curry set the record in MSG just because this thing does have a mystique that you're like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's cool. Even if it's not actually cool or the team playing there is good so i don't read too much into that i think if if anything it's more that like he just kind of wants out because he doesn't trust this organization and just wants to go live more in another place i can see him really wanting to live in new york city and really enjoying that and i you know which also makes you wonder right a little bit more about him is this a guy that truly wants to win nba titles and compete at the highest level or are you happy to make a lot of money and just be, you know, an all-star level player every single year without having to do a whole lot of work? 
that becomes kind of an open question, I think, about this because look, Knicks are great right now, right? Like Tibbs is going to get fired. That seems pretty obvious. They need to really look at that team and kind of rebuild and figure it all out. If you want to compete, say, next season, the better chance, I think, is going to be in New Orleans. And I say that with like no one in me here, but with Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, Valanciunas, Herb Jones, some of these other guys, it's an easier path to getting further in the playoffs the next, say, two or three years than it would be going to the Knicks, who would have to gut the roster and any sort of asset they have to be able to trade for Zion, thus kind of making them worse potentially in the short term and long term, depending on what you have to give up. That kind of says that he's not necessarily all about basketball. So I think when you look at it like that, you've got to kind of factor those type of things in there too. So it's a mix of everything, right? Like I think some of it is just distrust, wanting to be elsewhere. And I think part of it is like the allure of New York City in general to him. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, Zion is is almost the, I guess you certainly put LeBron again in this category, but almost the first guy since Shaq that you could say this about where he can put in 80% effort and make multiple yeah. NBA teams, make 12 all-star teams, have a hall of fame career. And that was, I mean, with Shaq, the situation was he could put in maybe 90% effort and like, and go up to a hundred percent in the playoffs and be one of the 12 greatest players of all time. Zion is borderline in that category. And that's what sort of makes him so fascinating. Is like, he could he could not have a Kobe Bryant work ethic, and you most the, the lay person would never be able to tell because he's just he's just that much of a talent. And to your point, last year didn't totally know what he was doing. Was playing a position he never really played before. Twenty seven points per game, sixty percent from the field. Like that that's who this guy is. That's why we're we're doing a whole podcast on like the very distant hypothetical yeah. <laughs> of him being a Nick because he's 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 a franchise changer. He is worthy of that conversation. It's it's why even JJ Reddick going on TV and, and ripping him is is a national story. This this guy is a very big deal. And if he ever finds that focus, finds that intent to be that great guy, and who knows, maybe maybe he does have that already. Um, the sky is is truly the limit. He could be he could be the best player in the NBA. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up on this. What is, what does a package look like for Zion Williamson? And I think, I, I mean, we all know that the great irony here is unless he turns down the qualifying offer and, and makes his way eventually into, un, or would he, I guess he'd be a restricted free agent then, or, or, or could he find his way to unrestricted free agency? So, I mean, look, I, I don't think so yes, I think he could. Like I, I think if there was ever a guy that was going to take the qualifying offer, basically play five years for the team that drafted him, and then, then hit unrestricted free agency, it's him, right? Right. He is making three or four times more money off the court than on the court. You know, the Jordan deal, the Gatorade deal, he's on the cover of NBA 2K. That's probably playing him paying him close to 30, 40 million dollars per year. I believe the Jordan deal is at least like 15 to 20, somewhere in that range, right? He's got the financial security to chill if he needs to for a year or two and then just make that money back. You know, you're you're, you're going to over the course of your career sacrifice maybe $30 million doing that. But when you've made, say, $300 million at the end of your career, if not more, is that that big of a deal? I'm not entirely <laughs> yeah. sure. Right. Like those are those are problems I can't really understand because uh, we're not in that stratosphere with things. So I think he could get there unrestricted. The problem is. There are going to be other teams that would be willing to take a chance on Zion Williamson, even if it's known that his preferred destination is. I think you need to compete. And you can tell me what you think, you know, compared to something like, say, Charlotte, right? That's a team that I think could conceivably gamble on Zion Williamson a little bit more than other teams. One being owned by Michael Jordan, which then kind of directly uh, has impact on Zion's money with his Jordan brand deal. And if there was ever a dude who's going to just yell at him and get him to do what he needs to do, it's probably Michael Jordan. And if you're not listening to that guy, like 
there's probably no hope for that sort of player or anything like that. You know, if they've got Miles Bridges, who's going to be a restricted free agent, they don't want to pay him, including a package of, say, Bridges, James Booknight, and maybe like P.J. Washington or something like that alongside two or three first round picks. Is there a package you could see the Knicks offering that's better than something along those lines? Yeah, so I was going to say the, the irony of all this is in all likelihood, he would never get to be teammates with R.J. Barrett because I assume it would have to right. be based around R.J. Barrett. Uh, the good news for the Knicks, if, if Zion is the end game, is a package based around R.J. Barrett is looking increasingly appealing. The guy just ripped off a career high 46 points, uh, is pretty clearly turning the corner. I, I won't say into stardom just yet, but into something a lot with or someone with a lot more potential than than we previously thought, because a lot of Knicks fans were very much down on R.J. Barrett earlier this season. It turns out he was playing with, with some kind of pretty severe stomach issue, um, a number of injuries on and off, and now he's turned himself into, I mean, over the last month and a half of basketball, a 23-24 a point-per-game scorer on not the world's best efficiency, but a, a, a solid three-point shooter, which is something that we thought would, I mean, maybe never come around. Like I think his shot was just about as much of a question as Zion Williamson's and is now looking pretty good for two months and most of last season. And the fact that he's scoring inside at the ready is given that the Knicks have just about the worst spacing in the NBA um, is indicative of someone, I think, with real star upside. And you can you can make a case slowly but surely that maybe in a year from now, he'll be a pretty similar asset to a Miles Bridges or maybe even a better asset than a Miles Bridges. Uh, given that and that the Knicks still have a surplus of first round picks, still have a surplus of second round picks and have some intriguing young pieces, especially a, a Quentin Grimes, who I think looks like he could be Danny Green plus for 10 years. And that, that is an extremely valuable player in the NBA. Um, they have Miles McBride. They have Obi Toppin. They have Emmanuel Quigley. I think the Knicks could put together a very competitive package for Zion. It, it just sort of gets into the question that you were just asking, Jake, which is, is it worth trading for a Zion Williamson? If you're completely gutted afterwards, I would think in the case of New York, the answer is yes, just because they do have that theoretical free agency appeal and they've never had someone like Zion Williamson to sell. So I, I think for them, it would be worth it to get Zion, essentially start from square one and uh, and go forward from there. Um, I do think the interesting thing for the Knicks would be, well, then what do you do with Julius Randle? And I, I assume uh, you can answer this right now. Would, would New Orleans have any interest as part of a Zion trade in taking Julius Randle back as, as sort of um, like, I guess, the replacement power forward for them? Oh, I got to look at his contract here. He just signed a new one there that was big, right? Yeah, it's, it's somewhere around like four years, 117 million. It was it was pretty reasonable given his his last season. That's actually not terrible. So last season, he was incredible, right? Like I, I yeah. was blown away by what we saw from him last year. Very deserving of the All-NBA spot that he was on. Like his season, when you look at the stats, is kind of bonkers good. Yeah. And like of the players you also just mentioned, you know, when I threw that Charlotte deal out there, which is kind of my favorite one right now, I actually agree that RJ Barrett in terms of like the players is the one with the highest upside in ceiling, right? Like I saw him as almost a James Harden-esque kind of player at times coming into the league and in that draft. So I think they would be very, in, you know, if it's like the writing's on the wall and they've got to move Zion, I think that the Knicks can actually put together a pretty competitive package with some of those young players you mentioned. And, you know, at a certain point, you just need to get a star level player in. So you need to take the chance on the guy that's got the highest ceiling, which is probably RJ Barrett. You know, maybe with Julius Randle, you know, he 
he has like up and down years, right? Like, you know, when he's in a contract year or about to get paid, that dude will will show out and then it kind of vanishes a little bit after that at times. So that concerns me with him, but he's certainly grown. He's committed on the defensive side of the ball. So maybe it also might depend on, you know, if other things are going to the Knicks and making salary work and things like that. And this is where it gets a little bit tricky because Zion would still be on his rookie deal. You know, if he signs the extension, then that poison pill stuff can come into this, which then makes it even harder to figure out a trade at times too so with Julius Randle and the salary I don't know if that would work unless New Orleans is sending someone out like Jonas Valanciunas or something along those lines and that I don't think would happen trade like this um, so I don't think Randle coming back to New Orleans is something that's necessarily in the cards yeah I think I think the scenario might be the Knicks trade for Zion and then move Randle on a separate deal to try and recoup some of those assets that yeah. they give up in a Zion trade. Anyways, Jake, uh, we, we, we've talked this topic to death. I thank you so much for taking all the time. Um, I hope Zion Williams is a Nick one day. I presume that you don't, and that's, that's okay. We can agree <laughs> to disagree on that, but can you let everyone know one final time where they can uh, find all your work? Of course, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake. You'll be getting a lot of Mardi Gras content the next like two, two days here. And um, then just locked on Pelicans and locked on NBA on Wednesdays. All right. That's it for this edition of the locked on Knicks podcast. Thanks to Jake Madison. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. Uh, Remember to subscribe on YouTube. Throw us a like. Throw some comments in. I'm I'm sure this video will get a ton of them. Um, Until next time, be good. Peace.